Hey, everybody. How are we doing? We're doing well, aren't we? It sounds, it sounds like we're doing awesome. Um, thanks for not being at the lake today and being here and, and uh, gathering with us. Uh, it's good to see so many people. I was just uh, actually uh, backstage uh, online chatting with all of you who are um, on YouTube and on Facebook. And so hi to all of you as well. Um, hey, one of my favorite things that we do nowadays uh, in our society is talk about goats. Um, not, the, not, not like the animal, although that's my favorite emoji, is the goat emoji. Uh, we talk about sports stars who are the goat. And obviously, all of us together at one voice, we're going to name our goat here in a second out loud. We're going to say it together with one voice. We're all going to agree. Everyone agrees that the goat, the greatest of all time, is clearly Michael Jordan. Okay, glad that we all got that out of the way. Just the, the goat, right, from Chicago, grew up in the 90s, had to say that. No, I mean, like, uh, this is the part of the debate, right? It's, it's who is the greatest of all time? Um, how many people say it's Tom Brady? I love this church so much. I love it. Oh, my gosh. This is the, I hope you heard that in Tampa and in New England and all around the world on ESPN. I hope you heard the silence. Oh, you guys are the best. How many things Patrick Mahomes? How many could live their lives watching Patrick Mahomes destroy the Bills every single day, right? I mean, like, just incredible to watch. There's something about, there's something about athletes operating at their peak potential, at their, 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 their apex of their skill that just inspires us and has us uh, just living in good days when we see that. Uh, what we want to do throughout the week of, or throughout the month of July is to, to realize that there are some great promises of God that operate in a similar fashion in our life. They are inspirational. They are what motivates us. They're the days that we want to live in, the, the dreams that God has for us, the, the greatest promises. These are the Mount Everest, so to speak, promises of the Bible or the, the Mount Rushmore of verses. And so I've invited uh, a couple of my friends uh, to come in over the next couple of weeks and share what they think is the greatest promise of all time. And today, the promise that I have for us is one that's super appropriate for this weekend is, you know, the entire country tomorrow will celebrate freedom. Celebrate freedom. Now, this is not a trick question. I would love for you to engage on this, but um, anybody like freedom? Okay, good. All right. That's going to be a really important starting point for us. Uh, the 4th of July, I think it marks a special day for us as citizens of this country to Remember and to appreciate this uh, dream that we have of a more perfect union and all that it sets out to provide for us. Of course, the way that we celebrate a more perfect union these days is by sales on appliances and by searing meat on a grill. <laughs> and I, I'm for both of those things, okay? Uh, but even still, the annual reminder that our country has something that no other country can claim. We have our independence on who rules us. That is a promise and a celebration that we, or a promise that we celebrate, something that we celebrate. We tomorrow will declare that no one else can control us. That's, that's tomorrow. Listen, freedom is good, but not all freedom is created equal. No, there is a good freedom, there is a better freedom, and there is the best freedom. They're not all the same. And as usual here at Heartland, we want to go to the words of Jesus to help us make sense of our world. And so today, I hope that we can be inspired to see this promise that I want to pull out of Scripture from Jesus' words to, to become a people of joy 
and gladness because we have the promise of the best freedom. That's where we're going. But, but to get there, I want to unpack some of the freedoms that we have today. And for, to start with this, I want to start with a good freedom. We have a good freedom, the, the good freedom. In this country, in America, we experience a type of life that is not guaranteed nor always possible in other countries. Now, now listen, tune in with me because I just read a statistic today that says that um, patriotism in America is at an all-time low. That only uh, one-third of our country believes that we are headed in a good direction. Which means two-thirds of this room right here, right now, is feeling exhausted thinking about our country. I just want you to kind of put aside however you feel about the current state of affairs today and just, just go with me on this quick little journey through our country. We um, have struggles to difficult, or it's difficult to judge a thing when we're so close to it. And all of us see our country and our society with fractures and fissures that run along hidden fault lines, but taken from a distance, American freedom is a good blessing. Twelve score and six years ago. No, you can't do the math? <laughs> Me neither. Original authors of the Declaration of Independence penned the now immortal aim of our democracy that all men being created equal would join together in the same inalienable right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Not every person around the globe lives in a country dedicated to such a high and noble goal. We are free. But free from what? Yeah, that, that's the question. Freedom always has to carry with it two extra words when you say that you are free from something. You always must have the words free from something. And so tomorrow we celebrate, everybody say it with me together, freedom from Britain. <laughs> you didn't say it with me. Do you not remember? <laughs> King George and the tea and the revolution. Have you not seen Hamilton? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, 246 years ago, the colonists severed ties with a tyrant king and renounced his claims over those living in this land. We declared political freedom and economic freedom from anyone else around the globe who would dare to put their thumb upon us as a society. We established our own government of the people, by the people, for the people. And here, just level with me for a second. The good freedom that we celebrate is that our country is our country. The good, the bad, the ugly, it's ours. It's not King George's. It's for no one else around the globe to tell us how to be or how to act. We are ours. We have a freedom that allows people to protest in peace and to vote to change our policies that we disagree with, to work through the messy levers of powers and politics and justice. We, we get to dialogue and we get to decide. So yes, happy Independence Day from Britain. This is a good freedom. But how many people know that there is a larger realm at play than just a political freedom or an economic freedom in this world, no matter what the cable news networks would tell you? 
there is something greater in this world that has a hold on our hearts. And Jesus was teaching the religious people of the day and their religious places, and there was a tremendous amount of division over his teachings. Some in the crowd began to agree with him. Others began to fight against him. They specifically took issue with Jesus on this one concept that he had just said that he was teaching on about freedom. Jesus had just said that if they knew the truth, the truth would set them free. And join me in John chapter 8. Here's what Here's how um, the religious leaders answer Jesus in this moment. I want you to see this moment of the good freedom that they have in their national identity. They answered him, they being the religious leaders, we are Abraham's descendants. We belong to a, a chosen nation, a good people. We have never been slaves of anyone. We are free people in our society. How can you say that we shall be set free? The implication is if we're already free, how can there be another freedom that we must enjoy? Do you hear the patriotism rising up in the religious leaders of this day? Our forefather is Abraham, founder of this sovereign nation, already possessing freedom in abundance. But... Um, Anyone who's read the Bible, at least on a cursory note, or just paid attention in a freshman year history class, knows that what they just said was revisionist history at best. Do you remember the story of the Exodus? Way back at the beginning of the Bible. Do you remember why the people had to exit Egypt? It was because they were slaves. And maybe you're a Bible nerd like me and you've actually read the middle part of the Old Testament. You made it through in your Bible reading plan past Leviticus and you got somewhere into Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah. Do you remember the, the Syrians came and conquered Israel and the Babylonians came and conquered Israel and that guy named Daniel who was put to work in uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and Darius's kingdom how he was a slave in a foreign land and how it was up to Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah to bring the people back from their slavery and put them back into Jerusalem. Man, you, you paid attention when you were in a high school uh, history class when they told you about the, the Holy Roman Empire and what preceded that was Caesar Augustus and how Caesar had the greatest empire in the history of humanity. And you remember how Caesar went about claiming the entirety of the world for himself. He went about it by conquering regions and enslaving the people. It was estimated that as much as a third of the known world were slaves to the Roman Empire, the same Roman Empire that was in, in power the day that Jesus was teaching in this religious setting. How can you say you're slaves to no one? Because the pride of religion had blinded their own eyes. I think today if this was a dialogue or a, let's be honest, a fight happening over Twitter, Jesus would have an incredible opportunity to own the religious leaders by simply responding to them with four words, know your own history. And then he'd put like a, a drop the mic emoji and then he'd be out and then little goat emoji and he'd be out, right? But despite the layup, Jesus doesn't go that route. 
In fact, it's almost like he gives in to their assertion that they have a good freedom already. Instead, Jesus goes straight for the heart. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied, and this is an extreme statement. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone, everyone just say everyone. everyone. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Here's why this is an extreme statement. It's because um, there's a couple things Jesus does here that have some emphasis to them, right? Uh, very truly. I don't know if you've ever had your kid come up to you as a parent and they've tried to explain to you what, what happened in the situation that now is a, bi- a giant mess that you're cleaning up. And, and they say to you, I'm, they, they're like, no, truly. Or like, honestly, or like, for real, I'm telling you the truth. But you know they're leaving a little part out. You know that? Um, truth is either all true or it's false. A half-truth truth, is a lie. <laughs> For Jesus to say very truly, it's a little bit redundant. He's emphasizing this to say, listen, what I'm about to tell you, you can take this to the bank. And then he says this, everyone who sins... That's an interesting statement too. Now the religious leaders wouldn't hold any uh, issue with Jesus saying everyone who sins because they would understand that the religion of that day, Judaism, was set up to be be a a religion that would deal with sin, that would be a a place where sin could be atoned for. Atoned, that just simply means dealing with sin or putting right which was broken. They They would agree, the religious leaders, that sin was a universal problem. But behind this phrase, everyone who sins, is this implication by Jesus that maybe there's someone who doesn't sin. And that would be a thought that would be untenable for the religious leaders. That Jesus would suggest that maybe one person hasn't sinned. But here's where it becomes incredibly offensive to our modern ears. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I think behind this insinuation, the Jewish leaders would again not argue with this point, but to us, it's hard. Sin being a slave master. Sin means you didn't hit the bullseye. That's really what it is. It's not even a religious word. It's a word that was borrowed from the term of uh, the, the world of archery. It was when you pulled back the bow and you let the arrow fly. To sin means that you didn't even hit the target, but you fell short and you kicked up dirt. That was like a, a taunt. You and your buddies would go out archery shooting and one of them would miss and you'd call him a sinner. The religious world picked this up and they said, you've missed the mark. You've missed the target. You didn't even hit any wood out there where, where there was a bullseye, let alone the bullseye. You, you fell short. You fell short of what? You fell short of God's ideals, God's commands. What's not expected in this is that our actions become external forces that determine our lifestyle. That anyone who sins is now a slave to sin. And slavery to sin, then, by Jesus' terms, is not something that is thrust upon us by the laws of the land. It is a self-inflicted condition. One sin begets another. 
when we think of slavery, we've got a context. We've got a history. We've got a lot that we've worked through as a country. When we think of slavery, oftentimes we think of chains, links in a chain where, where one action, so to speak, leads to another action and another action and another action. It's a series of dependent events upon one another that become ultimately a, a motivating force for our lives. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. No, to, to use that image of chains might be off the mark of what Jesus is even trying to say. It's not like sin is a prison master. It's more like, like a disease. Sin is cancer. Where localized cells cause problems, sometimes undetected, in which they spread and they cause other problems. Outbreaks which are left untreated will wear the body down to the point of death. And all of this happens, you know, we know this, all of this happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. Jesus is saying you can be free externally only to the degree that you are free internally. And so Jesus is showing us there's a better freedom than just being free politically. The better freedom is actually freedom from the reign of sin. Now, now I know um, many of you are checking out Jesus and some of you are tuning in trying to wonder how the Jesus first life connects with our American situation today. And um, I want you to know this is that, that um, along the road, if we don't confront this idea of sin, we will miss the mark ourselves. Sometimes we stall out in our investigation of Jesus because of this concept of sin, this malady of the soul within my life. We ask the question, if I have the good freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, why would I need a better freedom from sin, which is often undetected, it's difficult to pinpoint, and it is, can even be explained away? And the answer is that without freedom from sin, our life will always perpetually and increasingly be doomed to frustration, dysfunction, power struggles, regret, and a chasing after satisfaction that never quite gets satisfied. Worse, it leads to a self-obsession that causes us to burn our lives down without us even knowing it. See, we don't need outside rulers to make our lives miserable. Left to our own devices, we'll do that to ourselves on our own. See, we are all already fighting a battle within us. And I'm not just preaching like old school fire and brimstone today. Don't you feel this in your own heart about who you are? I mean, don't you? I mean, you be really honest with yourself for a moment. Just to look at your last week in review. Last, last month in review. And to examine the, the few decisions that we are away. Each one of us in our lives away from bankruptcy and relational instability and massive amounts of shame. Why is that? Is that because the rulers over you have forced you into a position? No. Or is it about the fight that's within you? Yeah. That's what James chapter 4 says, is that it's the, the war is waged within us because of the fight inside of us. Another Jesus follower, a generation after Jesus, he, he wrote it this way. This guy named Paul, he wrote to the Christians living in the political center of the world, which is Rome. He said to them, don't you know that when you offer yourselves uh, to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one you obey. Kind of that's how this whole thing works. And then he says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. 
Paul is saying that if you walk out the sin that is already inside of you, it becomes like a slave master over you. And so this is a big deal for us who are pursuing life, liberty, and happiness. We will never find genuine life, nor liberty, nor happiness out there until we find it in here. And so how do we get this better freedom? Well, this is it. I want to bring you to what I think is the greatest promise of all time. The the, the greatest promise of Jesus of all time right here. The goat in the gospel. It's it's right here. It's uh, leaning on this. Here's what Jesus says in response to them. He says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. We'll come back to this in just a second. But listen to this. Here's the promise for us today. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. Everybody say, will be. be. If the Son sets you free, the promise is that you will be free. Indeed. Let me unpack this for us to see if we can't see the good news that this actually is. See, in Rome, slaves were um, not like the slaves that we think about in our context in America. Slaves were not often born into slavery. They most likely were servants working off a debt to a master And they could only be released when the master was satisfied. Slaves had their own houses, their own families, their own schedules, were participants in society. Even more outside of our box, most slaves were slaves by choice. In fact, it was a long-term investment plan that their family could be better off if they gave some of their years to a certain well-to-do master. This was almost like a retirement plan is that slavery, or what is more better called bond service, or bond servants, would be a way for us to make our family better. This is why Jesus says that a slave has no permanent place in the family. They're temporarily working off their debt, and then they leave. They said, but a son will be in the family forever, and as an heir to the estate, the son has the same authority as the father to set free the slave. So it's good, if you're a slave, to know the son. It's good to know the heir. Because the son can commute your sentence. The son can absolve your guilt. The son can issue a pardon on your behalf. And here's where it comes to us today, friends. Do you know the son? Do you know the son whose father is the kingdom of the heavens and the earth? Who cares for the souls of all of his people? Do you know the son who has the power to free from sin and from death? Those who are under the subject of the penalty of sin and death. Do you know the Son? His name is Jesus. Not only does Jesus, the Son of God, care deeply about our freedom from sin, He Himself did something to commute our sentence as the slavery of sin held itself over us. He paid the penalty on our behalf to spring us from our bondage to it. He suffered the wages of sin on the cross so that we could freely receive our freedom. And if you see Jesus has set you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. And that's incredibly good news. I dare say that is the best freedom. If our good freedom is just the political and economic freedom that we enjoy in this country, The better freedom is that we might be free from the reign of sin. I think Jesus, in freeing us from sin, offers us the even better, I'd say it's the best freedom. It's freedom from ourselves. 
Jesus has pushed this conversation from the realm of political freedom to spiritual freedom to absolute freedom. He says, free indeed. And he was always trying to show us that the best freedom is a countercultural freedom, which can only be enjoyed when we see in the first place not ourselves, but himself. Let me say it this way so I'm not accused of being coy today. The only way that you will ever enjoy the lesser freedoms of our society, the better freedom from sin, is if you know the best freedom, that the point of all eternity is the heir of all things, the one in whom the entire universe holds together, the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is our Lord. I, no, yeah, I want to unpack this a little bit. That's, that's the statement, right? Because I, I don't know that we totally understand what that means. Uh, even Kanye West put out an album called Jesus is Lord. But what? Really? How? Jesus is Lord. To be Lord means to be our master, our ruler, our sovereign over us. Around here at Heartland, we call this the one who is in first place. We say Jesus first means that the best freedom is freedom that comes when we put Jesus as the ruler of our lives and we follow him and whatever he says, we will live out today. I say it um, using the words of a, a theologian and a philosopher from 100 years ago, also from Britain. I know we're free from Britain. We're celebrating that tomorrow, but let's give this one British guy his due. This guy named P.T. Forsyth. He said the first duty of every soul like the first principle, the first job that our souls have. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And that day, standing before the religious leaders who were blinded by their own pride, Jesus was offering them a way out of their slavery to nationalism in one sense, self-centeredness in another. And he instead was offering them the best freedom, which was a relationship with the Son, of God who could set them free. The son who was going to pay their debt in full. He was offering them freedom, not freedom from the Romans, not freedom from the Egyptians, but freedom from themselves. To stop serving themselves in their sinfully tainted ways and instead to become subjects of the son of God and to find the fullest life that unfolds from there. Friends, I think you and I are at risk of making the same mistake that the religious leaders made so many years ago when they looked at Jesus. They pulled on their collective national history and they said, look at who we are. What more freedom do we need? They looked the Son of God square in the eyes and they said, no thanks, this is better. Good freedoms can crowd out the best freedoms when we put them in the wrong place. And so we fight sometimes and we claw. We become anxious when any of our good freedoms are at stake because I think today we have a tendency to put as the first duty of our souls freedom. Freedom from anyone who would dare say they know how we should live. But Jesus says that if you find the right master, you'll live without a worry in the world because your problems will be taken care of. 
You can rest unanxious. You can breathe guiltless, forgiven. You can stand imperfect and yet righteous. You can relate to God not just as a creature but as his child who has been given the best freedom. Which means that if ever your good freedom was taken away, because you have the best freedom, you'd still be free. This is why the Jesus first life works in parts of the world that don't have the same freedoms that you and I have. Is because there's gotta be a better and best freedom that doesn't derive from ourselves. The best freedom. The freedom to call Jesus my Lord is not an act of independence, it's an act of radical dependence. And here's how it works. If we back up just a few verses to what made this situation tense in the first place, here, here's what I want to show you. Here's how Jesus got into this mess in the first place. Jesus is teaching and some of the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the, what is this? The truth will set you free. A couple of verses later, Jesus says, if you know the Son, the Son will set you free. What is this about truth and sonship? Well, if you hold on to my teaching, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. This is what 10 chapters later in the book of John, Pilate couldn't figure out when Jesus, the Lord over the universe, was standing right before him on trial. Pilate looked at Jesus and he chuffed. He said, what is truth? Pilate enjoyed the good freedom of political freedom as the ruler over the land, and he knew nothing of the better freedom standing right in front of him because he didn't know the truth. He didn't know what a centurion would know. Hours later, standing at the foot of the cross, that day that Jesus died, the clouds darkened and the earth shook and Jesus breathed his last breath. Do you remember what the centurion said? He looked up at Jesus and he said, surely this was the Son of God. When you know the Son, he tells you the truth. The truth about who you are. You know, apart from Jesus, we are um, worse than we'd like to admit, aren't we? <laughs> and we're, we, we, we say that we're better than we actually are. We aren't truthful about who we are. But Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves. And here's the beautiful thing about the freedom of the gospel. The freedom of Jesus. Is that when Jesus tells us the truth about who we are, we can finally be honest with one another and tell people, you don't know me. I am way worse than I ever thought I could possibly be. But because I know the Son, I am way more loved and forgiven than I ever dared to imagine. There is a particular freedom from telling the truth about who we are that comes only from knowing who the Son of God actually is. Helps us tell the truth about ourselves, but it also tells the truth about who Jesus is. He's the only way who has made me alive. He's the only one who has given me purpose and meaning. He's the only way in which we can truly live. 
Then you will know the truth, the Son, and the Son will set you free. Free from what? Not from Britain. Free from the moral ambiguity of this world. Free from your sinful past and the wrongdoings you've done against God. Free from your ignorance and your fears. Free from yourself. So, in dependence is our independence. I'd love for you to stand together. I want to um, do something a little bit old school here uh, and just, just read a benediction over this room. A benediction for those of you who aren't church people or we haven't done this in a long time. It means the good words that end the gathering. It's a way for us to celebrate and to send out based upon what we've heard. So um, as a means of a benediction today, uh, may you light up the sky tomorrow with our good freedom. May you enjoy good friends and celebrate the blessings of what we have. But may this good freedom remind you of the best freedom and the greatest promise that the Son has set you free and you are free indeed. May you be free indeed, my friends. Go in God's grace and serve Jesus first. We'll see you next week.